Thank you for joining us. This is the Auto Guide Show, and I am your host, Mike Schley. I'm the co-host, Kyle Patrick. And this week, we're going to talk about a couple of reviews we did over the week, as well as a big comparison. We're going to discuss all of the vehicles that were um, dropped at the CES show in Las Vegas. We have Toyota on to talk about the Land Cruiser. We're going to answer the two worst questions we get as automotive reviewers, and then we'll give you a little preview of what's to come next week. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, let's start with the big comparison that we put out on Friday, the Volkswagen Atlas against the Toyota Grand Highlander. Uh, Kyle, what were your thoughts on these vehicles? I mean, big is an appropriate term. These things are some of the biggest unibody SUVs that you can buy on the market. And luckily they were both facelifted or in the case of the Grand Highlander, brand new for 2024. So uh, it was um, it was an interesting comparison, and it was one of those ones where we came in, and I genuinely had no idea which one I was going to prefer over the course of the week. Yeah, it ended up being a lot closer than I thought. Um, like you said, the, the facelift for the Volkswagen, that's a huge deal because there were a couple things on the old Atlas that I didn't like, and they kind of addressed them all. So they've really gone from, I'd say, like towards the mid-back of the pack, closer to the front. And then with the Grand Highlander, there are some things on it that I wasn't expecting, like that engine, um, that was the hybrid max, they call it, mm -hmm. that makes makes so much power. And then it makes that sort of V6 rumble, if not almost a V8 rumble inside. I mean, it's all fake, but it sounds kind of cool. It, it does, right? And like, I, I don't know, I, I know it's supposed to be a practical vehicle, but having a little bit of fun with it is, is nice. And to your point about the Atlas, uh, you know, I, I think it was a smart move to drop the V6 and just stick with a, a four-cylinder. It's a turbo. It's strong. It does the job. Yeah, and it too makes fake noises, which you can turn up and make like real loud, like way too loud for a three-row SUV. But hey, if people want it, they can. My son's favorite feature by far is the ambient lighting in that, how you can adjust the colors. He would just keep bugging me to change the colors every time we'd stop. But um, space-wise... The second rows, they're both like going to fit pretty much anyone. But I was surprised, being the Grand Highlander, that it wasn't uh, more spacious than the Atlas. I mean, the Atlas probably has the most space out of any of these uh, three-row SUVs when it comes to the third row. But the Grand Highlander, I was expecting a little more space. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that that was the the main talking point since this vehicle debuted. That you know they fixed the third row versus the regular Highlander, and they have, and that's great. But really, it's it's just sort of caught up to some of the larger offerings in the segment, like the Atlas or the Pilot, really, which is another really spacious third row. Yeah, the new Pilot is a big, big vehicle, um, and the Grand Highlander doesn't get glowing badges front and rear. That's true. That's true. You do miss out on that. And in Canada, uh, as as we talked about in our comparison, the Platinum. You can only get in hybrid max, whereas in the U.S., you know, if you want to shorten that price gap between the Atlas and the Grand Highlander, 
you can get a regular turbo or a hybrid in that top trim, whereas in Canada, it's just not really an option. I don't know why someone would not get the hybrid max if it's available on a trim. Like it makes so much more power. It's better on gas than pretty much anything in the segment. Like it's just, mm. it, even if you don't make the money back, you're never going to be upset that you spent it on that. No, no. And it's, it's fun. I mean, I will say after driving the, uh, the regular hybrid at the first launch, it's good. I was worried that it was going to be, you know, underpowered and something so big, but uh, it's, it's fine. It's it's totally adequate, and then you get even better gas mileage. But yeah, I would I would go for hybrid max if I could. Yeah, to what you just said, that's the biggest complaint I hear about the Atlas. Well, maybe not a complaint, just the biggest question is everyone's like, oh, a two liter turbo, like that's not enough power for a car that big. But it really is. It's hmm. I think it's underrated on how much it makes. And even with five passengers, I never had a full seven in there. It's still got up to like freeway speed, no problem. There's 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 nothing wrong with that engine. It's just no. a matter of some people like the, the big old V6 is like in the uh, pilot in the um, Hyundai and Kia's. Well, I think people like that because, I mean, prior to this facelift, the Atlas kind of felt like a body on frame SUV. It, uh, it sort of drove like one. So you kind of wanted an engine to match. And I don't know, there's not a whole lot of suspension changes for this one. But for whatever reason, they've just tweaked it for the, the new engine. And it's it's great. All right, well, moving on, um, another vehicle that uh, you put a review for this week was the Mercedes-Benz GLE 450 plug-in hybrid. Yes, yes, we moved from a German SUV to a German SUV. That's going to be kind of a theme this week. Uh, yeah, I, the GLE 450e was a very smooth ride because, of course, it is. It's a Mercedes. It looks pretty good. Uh, and, of course, the major selling point for the 450e is that for the exact same price as the regular 450 you get a plug-in with a surprising amount of range like 48 miles of just electric power or 77 kilometers in canada that's that's huge that's uh more than the average daily drive yeah like i said i've never driven that model but i did drive the regular 450 and the uh amg 53 and they are some of the like smoothest vehicles you feel like solid inside like nothing on the outside is going to make its way in bumps sounds anything yeah there's um I've, I've had some criticisms of modern mercedes where there's a fair amount of plastic in the in the cars and they feel a little decontented we had that with the c-class last year but the the gle probably because it's you know it's such a big seller and such a major model for mercedes it doesn't have that problem it feels really great inside. Uh, I will say that the tires are enormous on this one. It's not even an AMG, and yet they were 315s on the back, which uh, I'd feel a little um, uncomfortable with, with having to swap them just in terms of cost. But beyond that, I mean, it was it was good. And it's a four-cylinder, so again, plenty of power, more than you need. It's high 300s, I want to say, combined. I can't remember the exact figure, maybe 381. Uh, you know, that's that's plenty for a mid-size family SUV. Yeah, the tires, they were on the 450 I drove too, which you're right, it's it's kind of overkill, but that's just the trend in uh, the big German luxury SUVs like the X5M competition, which you also posted this week. Yes, which uh, actually had slightly smaller tires despite having 617 horsepower. Um, I... This was a tough one for me to drive because I came back from BMW Test Fest and I had driven a whole bunch of 
different BMW models. I drove the plug-in X5 uh, just before this one and loved it. It is such a great all-rounder. One of our colleagues referred to it as a cheat code of a car, and that feels very appropriate. And so I thought, oh, you know, like I'm not really going to love the M competition. It's it's overkill. It's too much. And I was wrong. I <laughs> That's happened more than once this year with the BMW. It was just a blast. And I think it really kind of gets to the point of what modern M is all about. It's kind of brutal. It's powerful. It's fun. It's engaging, where that isn't always the case in this segment. Yeah, I haven't driven one of the new M's in the SUV range, but both the X6 and the X7 I drove this year with the M60 uh, engine, which is still a twin-turbo V8 making over 500 horsepower. And they both felt like they had more power than you'd ever need, uh, especially in the X7. It was kind of hilarious here and all the uh, crackles and pops out of the exhaust when you put it into the sportiest modes. But yeah, they're they're doing a good job with these vehicles for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like to to your point, driving the uh, the M60 versions, um, you get most of the experience with the M that you do with those. I'd say ninety percent, uh, and it's a turbo engine. So you're a chip or a tune away from making pretty much the same power as this. If you're going to go down that route, not that I recommend maybe tinkering with your hundred thousand dollar luxury SUV, but Hey, yeah. people do what they want. Yeah, don't take it out of warranty. Yeah. So moving on something completely different, the Honda civic. So we obviously like the civic, it was car of the year, not too long ago. The Type R, um, I don't think we could possibly say any more good things about it. But you were uh, focusing more on the SI, which when we compared it a year and a half ago, we actually weren't that impressed with it. No, and as I learned when driving this one in LA, that's because they're surprisingly different between Canada and the US. So up here in the north, uh, for listeners, the Canadian SI is the top trim. It sits above the Touring and really does feel like a Touring Plus. You get all those features, and of course, the, the price is higher. Whereas down in the US, the SI is more of a mid-trim uh, model, and so you miss out on some of the features that we have here, but it's also a much more affordable vehicle. It's one of the most affordable enthusiast vehicles these days, and... I will just say in LA, it felt like pretty much the perfect car. I don't have to worry about heated seats when I'm down there. Yeah, I think in Canada too, not getting the uh, summer tires on the SI is a, a big difference because a lot of us competitors, that's an option. Or you get even higher performance all seasons at a minimum with the Civic, with kind of what let it down when we drove it. Um, and then driving the Type R, you can see the potential of what's there if you just tweak it a bit more. I mean, it's still a manual, so that's that's good. I'm happy that that's still available. But um, yeah, no, your article is very interesting about how the SI has led to bigger and better things at Honda. Yeah, like I, I we don't give it credit. It's sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of uh, enthusiast vehicles, where really, if the SI hadn't existed, and for 40 years this year, uh, then we probably wouldn't have had a Type R. So I appreciate that we have room for both, and I hope Honda continues that for foreseeable future yeah and in canada we had the si for so many years and the us didn't but it was just the name of the highest trim so i get the packaging now they're, they're keeping that alive whereas back in the day like there's no performance it was just called that but the the real si's that did return in the mid 2000s or early 2000s i guess with that uh, english built one 
yeah, mm-hmm. since then it's been it's been a, a great line. And then the Type R just shows how crazy you can get with this chassis and this platform. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're running out of time, but we'll quickly talk about one last other performance car, the Boxster, if it got batteries. Yes, yeah, so I'll just, I'll briefly touch on this because officially the EV718s have not debuted yet, but we do know that they're coming. And uh, back in December, I drove the four-cylinder version of the Boxster, which in itself is kind of a rarity because most of the attention, all the press cars, they're the six-cylinders because they're fun and they're more powerful and they're naturally aspirated, so they rep high. But the four-cylinder was cool to drive and find out where the base engine sits, and it's, as you expect, like more than adequate. It's it's fun, but it the engine note is industrial. It's not, uh, it doesn't put your hair on end. So that made me really think about what's coming down the pipeline. And it makes me cautiously optimistic about the idea of an electric powered Boxster because really you're taking something out that isn't necessarily integral to the whole experience. And if there's any brand that I'm going to trust when it comes to sports cars, it's going to be Porsche. Yeah. And they're going to uh, obviously up the power because the weight will go up. And I mean, you have a front trunk that's just doing kind of nothing. So maybe you can stuff some more electric motors up there and the prospect of an all wheel drive Boxster would be awesome. Um, yeah. 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 There's a lot of possibilities there for sure. Absolutely. So the Consumer Electronics Show known as CES took place in Las Vegas this week. Uh, we had some people down there uh, reporting, getting us pictures. We'll just kind of cover some of the highlights. So. First up, there was Honda who released two new concepts, one the saloon and one the space hub. So we'll start with the saloon. It's uh, it's very interesting because Honda claims that this is a style direction of sort of future products. And to me, it looks like almost like a futuristic looking car from a video game, you know, 15 years ago. It's a very, very interesting shape. Obviously a production car is not gonna look just like it, but it's, it's very different. Yeah, uh, I got, a, a very specific vibe from this when I saw the picture. Uh, I don't know if I'm dating myself or maybe telling on my parents, but uh, I got a Christmas gift the one year that was like a little handheld vacuum. And it was supposed to be like a play toy, right? But it's definitely just trying to encourage kids to, to clean up. But yeah, that was the vibe I got the first time. I was like, oh, look, a little uh, a little vacuum, a little Honda Roomba. Yeah, it's, it's not a dustbuster like the uh, old Lumina APVs, but there's definitely that sort of tri- or square square rectangle uh, opening in the front. And then their other concept was the space hub, which is a a van, but it's meant more as a hub for doing things while you're being mobile. So more of like a self-driving pod vehicle type thing. But um, yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say as as journalists, obviously we are big fans because minivans. So yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's going to drive us and we can, you know, do some work then. That's great. So uh, another vehicle that got a lot of headlines this week is the Volkswagen, um, where they are planning to put chat GPT into all of their um, ID cars. So the current ID4, upcoming 7, Buzz, they're, they're all going to get it. And they're also going to put it in some of their uh, gas-powered cars, like the GTI. And we got a little preview of the GTI camouflaged. It's not an all-new one, but it's going to be the, um, the updated, I guess, refresh. So uh, yeah, the 
the point of the software, they say, is so you can have more natural conversations with your car when you're trying to get it to do things. How it'll work and how it'll change, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not itching to have natural conversations with my car, but we'll we'll see what happens. And uh, I'm sure it'll still look great because the current GTI looks good. And I'm sure enthusiasts will uh, cry a bunch of tears about the fact that the manual transmission is dead with this facelift. Yeah, yeah, it is sad, but I mean, at least they have a good auto. It would be worse if it was a, a poorly tuned, laggy, slow auto, but it's very good in, in the GTI. Um, and to your point about having conversations with your car, like I get back in the day when you'd have to be so robotic with your instructions, like car, menu, do this, do that. But cars already today, you can just say like uncold and it'll warm the car up. So I'm not really sure where this is going to go. I mean, it'd be kind of interesting if you get in the car and it's like, hello, Kyle, how was your uh, trip to Spain or something? But I mean, who knows? I mean, I, maybe that'll be the future. We'll start having becoming BFFs with their cars. But I'm just curious if it's going to be able to write an essay for me for uh, to submit to university. That's really the the main point. And Volkswagen did not give us nearly enough info on that. All right. So with that, we'll go on to VinFast. So um, the manufacturer that seems to release cars daily, they have another concept that they brought to CES, and they're calling it the Wild. It's basically a midsize all-electric pickup. What's interesting is the bed is really big in this concept, bigger than Rivian's even. So if it came to market, that would be an advantage for it. And it also has the uh, mid-gate, like the uh, Silverado EV. So they're kind of taking bits and pieces from other vehicles like ideas and putting them together in one package. Any other details as far as draft and everything we don't have, but I mean, if VinFast wants to get a hold in North America, pickup trucks isn't a, a bad way to go. No, it's true, and and you know, props to them for uh, for bringing this out and, and knowing the market. And as we'll talk about in a little bit, they're not alone on that front. But uh, needless to say, we're all a little skeptical because well, the rollout for existing VinFast hasn't been the smoothest. So we'll we'll see how long it takes for this to become a reality and then an actual shippable reality. Yeah, I actually uh, run into a couple of VinFast in the wild. I'm surprised. They all usually have manufactured dealer plates, but people are out there. I was charging a car up not too long ago when uh, it was parked beside me. I was kind of lurking, hoping the driver would come back to see who they were, but they didn't. Yeah, I was I was in the mall just before Christmas with my wife, and and she spotted the the three row in the showroom. And she said it, you know, and it does. It looks pretty good. It's a pretty attractively styled thing. And it's great for BinFast that they've already just shot off with their own unique styling right from the go, which is hard for a new manufacturer to pull off. And had they been just a little bit quicker on the launch, uh, they would have been the first three-row EV from a non-premium brand. But instead, it's Kia EV9. Yeah. All right. And that's perfect transition to Kia. So Kia had a, a huge presence. They brought a whole whack of vehicles. Um, they brought the EV3 and EV4. Mm -hmm. So the EV3 is basically um, showing you what the production upcoming vehicle is going to be, whereas the EV4 was a little more um, sort of a concept, I guess. It even mm -hmm. sort of had the name concept stamped to it. I mean, we're big fans of the EV6. So I imagine 
these would be good. Um, if they get, say, the Nero EVs drivetrain in the three, maybe, and the detuned all-wheel drive in the four, I could see them both being pretty good. Yeah, that's the the fascinating part, right? With with Kia and I mean the the EGM plat EGMP platform in general is that you know it being scalable that they can have an EV9 and then also a smaller vehicle. Uh, you'll have a car in a smaller, more affordable segment that still has really quick charging capability, pretty good efficiency, and Kia's been killing it with the designs lately too. So I, I'm really excited about these, and I'm looking forward to you know, eventually seeing the production model for the EV4. And they also brought a whole range of vans to the show, although I, they weren't really calling them vans, but they're vans. Um, they're saying it's built on uh, sort of an idea of PBV, which stands for Platform Beyond Vehicle. The idea is that they're fully interchangeable. They even talk about if you buy the van and it's a cargo van by during the week, you could go to a Kia place and this robot will take the back end off and put in a passenger van. So on the weekend, it becomes a passenger van for you. Um, they even had like a little display showing. I mean, how well that will translate into the real world, if at all, I don't know. But the cool thing I liked is they had big vans that would rival, you know, the sprinters and the transits out there. And then they had a, a little guy and that was designed for cities and tighter areas where it could uh, take a couple items from a bigger van and just kind of, you know, get around easier and park and deliver where it needs to. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, that's like, there's a, there's a huge market for that, right? Because people are getting imported uh, the mini pickups from Japan to do that sort of thing. And if, if we can do that from an electric standpoint in the future, that's, that's great. I can't help but think about GM's concept. I don't know, probably 20 years ago now. Do you remember this, Mike, the, the little skateboard, EV oh, yeah. platform that they had, and they they had pitched the same idea of just dropping different bodies on top of it, and it's mm -hmm. a it's a really great idea because yeah, nothing has to change, right? So, I'm I'm curious to see where this goes and how far out Kia is really talking, but it's it's a cool concept for sure, and it all comes down to pricing too. Like we've had not that small, but small vans before, like the uh, the City Express and um board has the oh what's their little transit called connect um, connect yeah and they haven't done as well but a lot of the reason is you could get such good discounts on the big vans there wasn't an incentive sort of the same problem smaller pickups have always had against the big guys when you're building mm -hmm. something in such volume you can afford to drop the price but if these are all being built together then yeah ho hopefully the pricing would make sense mm -hmm. All right, well, it's time for a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we are going to talk with Toyota Motor America about the new Land Cruiser. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Do you remember your first car? I sure do. I was fresh out of university and I wanted nothing more than a car. So I went to some dealers with two things in mind. I wanted a Cudor Coupe and I wanted a manual transmission. After looking around, I finally ended up with a 2003 Oldsmobile Alero Coupe with a five-speed manual and a four-cylinder engine. A lot of people didn't understand why I bought that car, but I loved it. I would take it everywhere. I also wanted to modify it. I put a lot of parts on that didn't work. I put on some wheels and they ended up ripping apart my rear brakes and I had to get rid of them. My intake, my exhaust, my suspension, and some interior bits were all custom made. It would have helped so much if there was some sort of way that I could get guaranteed parts for my car back then. Another thing I loved to do with the car was I would take it drag racing. I do low 15 seconds and thought I was so fast, which I wasn't. 
But you know what? I was having a blast and I was getting to run the car harder than I was allowed to on the street. I also went to a lot of charity car shows, road trips, and weeks up at the cottage. I had the car for almost two years until one day it was written off in a snowstorm in Detroit by a mail truck. It was a sad day and I really missed that car. One day, maybe I'll get another Alero, but for now, I'll just have good memories of this car and how much fun I had with it. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Joining us now from Toyota Motor North America is Tyler Lichtenberger. Hi, everybody. Tyler. Tyler Lichtenberger from Toyota Motor North America. I work in marketing on Tundra Sequoia and the all-new 2024 Land Cruiser. So I'm really excited to be here today. Well, welcome. Yes, we're excited too. We've got a couple questions I'd like to ask you about the new vehicle. So Kyle, go ahead. All right. Well, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm just going to kick it off with asking um, a question that's been bugging us for a little while now. With hindsight being 2020, can you say it was always the plan to have Land Cruiser just take a few years off before coming back? So the plan was always that Land Cruiser would be redesigned for 2024. Uh, we had some very invested executives who went to Japan and said, we need this vehicle back in the U.S. And this is an important vehicle to our lineup, especially all of our truck lineup. Land Cruiser is the kind of godfather, the legend, the icon that all of our trucks, the platform that our trucks sit on. So it wasn't always the plan for it to come back um, uh, you know, to the U.S. So we had some very invested executives who own Land Cruisers who went and fought for this vehicle to come back. Well, that's great. We're happy it is back. Um, yes. The next question. So the new Land Cruiser is only a hybrid. So how? what would you say to the sort of more um, dedicated off-road customers that might be a little leery about it being hybrid only? I've, I've heard it all. I've been to Cruiser Fest this year, been to a lot of, um, uh, you know, Land Cruiser events. I myself am a Land Cruiser owner. Uh, so I have a 200 series and a 100 series. And so I just know what people think and how people think about it. But Toyota's been in the hybrid game for a long time, right? Since 2001 with the introduction of Prius. And what we know about a hybrid engine is that you get power immediately, right? Power immediately to the wheels to get to where you need to be. But then also with this engine, the um, I know people are like four cylinder, it's not an eight cylinder. It is fast. I think the, the thing I'm most excited about for people to experience is the engine on this vehicle because it is so powerful. And then plus all the bells and whistles that you get, you get the SDM, you get uh, the full-time four-wheel drive, uh, you get the you know multi-terrain uh, uh, monitoring system, you get the center and rear locking differential. So it comes with a lot of the off-road bells and whistles that you expect, but then with the immediate power going to all of the wheels, it's incredible. Okay. Well, I mean, we're all looking forward to seeing that for ourselves in a few months. Yes. Uh, so I'm just going to ask the next question then. I mean, relating sort of what to Mike asked earlier, uh, what challenges did you face differentiating this Land Cruiser, not just from 4Runner, but also from the related Lexus GX? Yeah, so 
It was probably easier to differentiate from Lexus GX, right? <laughs> because they're a luxury brand and uh, Lexus has done a really good job in terms of um, putting themselves and marketing the new Lexus GX 550 into the overland space. And I would almost say that we kind of have opposite problems. They're showing the GX as a very you know, capable overlanding vehicle, which I think true land cruiser enthusiasts always know, have known it is. Um, but in Land Cruiser, now that we have the price cut from what was a higher price into also a different segment, being a more mid-sized vehicle and starting in the mid 55, you know, 50,000s, um, this vehicle, you know, we are now going to see it. It is very off-road capable, but we're going to see new people enter this segment as well and get into this overlanding space or at least more rugged space with the new 2024 uh, Land Cruiser. So there's a differentiation there. Now, between, um, you know, Land Cruiser and Forerunner, a lot of people are very concerned about this. They're more concerned than maybe I should be. <laughs> but we see these two different segments, right? You're going to have a third row option on Forerunner. You have a completely different hybrid, or, you know, powertrain system on Land Cruiser. So they are running while now Land Cruiser is in the mid SUV and kind of rugged uh, mid SUV segment. These are different vehicles for a different user, and we see Land Cruiser being a more, you know, uh, modern kind of approach to off-roading, and whereas. Forerunners, a younger, recreation, more recreational vehicle. Right, sounds good. Um, all right, so moving on. Uh, how important was it for you to have two headlight options on the new Land Cruiser? Well, I think when you look at the vehicles and people want to know, are they interchangeable? Can you put one on the other? No, Land Cruiser is, grade is going to come with the rectangular headlights, which is a callback to uh, the FJ62. And then the round headlights, which is on the Land Cruiser 1958, is going to be a callback to the FJ40s. So when you see the design of this vehicle, the low belt line, the scooped hood, et cetera, this is really a callback in, to the roots of Land Cruiser and what the vehicle has always been known for, again, I use the words iconic, legend, it, that's just what Land Cruiser is. And so in the new, releasing the new 2024 Land Cruiser, the designers and the chief engineer really wanted to harken back to those, you know, really iconic design points of Land Cruisers of the past. So those headlines really um, just bring that to life. Excellent. Thanks, Tyler. I know there's another question that Mike really wants to ask relating to that, but uh, I'm going to take one before that and just go a little bit of a different direction and ask you uh, about factory equipment, because I know that that's just the start when it comes to this sort of segment. So how many dealer installed or third party accessories can we really expect at launch or shortly after? Yeah, so, you know, we are working with a lot of third-party accessories. We have a SEMA measuring session coming up where they're going to be able to take a look at the vehicle and design products um, for third-party accessories. We're also going to have, you know, uh, Toyota AAP approved parts that dealers can install. Um, so we're going to have more on that to come. But the 1958 grade is really meant to be a base vehicle. We know that people modify their vehicles and have been doing that for years with Land Cruisers. So the 1958 grade is really meant to be the grade that is, you know, plug and play that people can take stuff off and put stuff on that they want. It really is a um, build your own Land Cruiser grade. And then the Land Cruiser is going to have um, 
a little bit more of those creature comforts we call with, you know, premium sound system on the premium package. You get, you know, the soft tech seats on the Land Cruiser grade. You get the leather seats on with the premium package. So more of those things that come into play there where people might be like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm rugged, but maybe I'm not a true overlander and I want some of the nice things that, you know, I might, I might see on, on another car. So um, those, those are going to come. We know that they're going to come. Uh, and we're excited for to see how people customize their vehicles because we see some of the CGI stuff on social media. Um, I used to work in social media before coming to marketing, and it's just really fun to see how everybody thinks about customizing their vehicles to their personal preferences. Yeah, actually, Kyle, the last question we have for you kind of ties into what you asked and what I asked before. So there was the FJ Cruiser from not too long ago, and uh, if you look at used car prices on that, it's insane. It has such a cult following that people absolutely love that. And people would keep them stock or they would really modify them. So yeah. is the Land Cruiser sort of its spiritual successor in that segment of the market? You know, they're two different vehicles, right? You know, you have four, two doors versus four doors. You have a little, it's a little bit different uh, in terms of wheelbase. Um, but I will say this. So Jin Kim, who's a designer for Kelty Design here in the U.S., he worked on some of the original designs for Land Cruiser um, before, you know, they went over to Japan. And I will say that he also designed the FJ Cruiser when he got out of college and first joined Toyota. So there's an interesting connection there with Jin Kim um, in how he actually, you know, worked on the FJ and then brought some of that inspiration into Land Cruiser, but they are two very different vehicles. So spiritually, maybe yes, but but they are very different vehicles. So no three wipers on the Land Cruiser coming down the road? <laughs> No, not planned. But, you know, I will say this in terms of the accessories and things that people are, we're always listening. We are always listening to the mentions in our, our comments, um, what people are saying. So it's it's never say never um, when people ask for stuff. All right. Well, that's great. You gave us a lot of great info today. So we thank you for coming on um, and hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, and we're back. Um, this would be the section where normally we would answer any questions that you, the viewers and listeners have. So if you put some questions in the comments or um, email us or get at us on Twitter or Instagram, uh, we will potentially use your questions in upcoming podcasts and we could really use them. So since this is our first podcast, I'm just pulling out two questions that Kyle and I get all the time that are impossible to answer. So the first yes. one is people come up and they say, what's the best car? So Kyle, what's the best car? You know what? I actually got that question, no word of a lie, about a half dozen times uh, during the holidays because, yeah, people find out what you do. And that is the very first question that they'll ask. And no qualifiers ever, right? It's not like, what about the best sports car or the best SUV or the best truck or the best car for 50 grand? It's just best car. Uh, which, I mean, I, I can't answer that. It's it's impossible. I don't know. Maybe you have a, a better go of that, Mike? <laughs> no, it's like, they'll ask you that, and then you'll say whatever your answer is, something along the lines, like shorter, but what you said, like you can't answer it. And then they always come back with, what do you think about this car? And it's either the car they own or the one they want to buy. It's like, just ask me that to start. But I guess that to them isn't a, a good enough opener. And then on the same question, sometimes I first get is, what's your favorite car? And I'm like, same thing, like, 
like ever or like in what context yeah yeah i uh when when people ask about a specific car i have made the mistake of not asking first like oh is that your car because now i know better <laughs> to always be like well why are you asking about this car because um yeah i may or may not end up trashing it i really don't want to do that that's not a great way to to introduce yeah. myself to a, a new person um but yeah usually i just i try to narrow it down as to what they're trying to get at i mean nowadays it's a family suv and and so i'm like well what do you prioritize do you really care about gas mileage do you care about space uh those sorts of things and, and then it gets easier right but i mean oh man best car that's I mean, actually, here we go. I'm just going to throw it back at you. What's the best car you drove last year, Mike? Hmm. <laughs> it's tough because like, you got to think of all the things you drove. Probably, I don't know. It's, just, it's the same thing. Like, I love the Civic Type R and the Integra Type S, but I also love the Hellcat Jailbreak. Um, mm -hmm. There's just different cars for everything. The Kia Stinker ended up surprising me. So, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of things out there. You kind of brought up the other question is what car should I buy? I get that all the time, but just that, not what style, price range, new or used. Um, yeah. And then same thing. You, so you start asking those questions then you'll eventually get it narrowed down. But some people I honestly think don't really know what they want at all. Like they're just asking like, you know, where do I start? But to your point about trashing a car, I had someone asking me about a, um, a very recent upstart EV maker because they saw the car at a, a place in the mall. And I was like, you know what? You might want to be a little leery right now until uh, some things get worked out. But the pricing was attractive, so. It's it's true, it is. And we won't we won't mention them by name. But yeah, uh, I it's, it's tough when you get asked what car people should buy because I mean, it's a daunting process, right? It's, it's the most expensive thing you're gonna buy outside of a house. Uh, and yet we really, don't buy for practical reasons. That's my experience anyway, with a lot of friends and family who bought cars over the year is we like to pretend it's practical and it's a very rational thought out decision, but there's a lot of personal preference that comes into it. Uh, I have a, a friend who was asking about a small SUV because you know they, uh, they had one young kid and they were, they had a second on the way. They asked about replacing their small car and when I explained to them, you know, what cars really rank well for us, uh, they went in a completely different direction. Um, because Isn't that how it always goes? Yeah, always, yeah. Which it usually get? does. Yeah. But they went in a completely different direction because, you know, they, they didn't like how the one looked and how common it was, which is, uh, I mean, I, I understand that rationale, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless, right? And of course, I feel like we've both run into this where people ask like, oh, the best family car and immediately we're just saying minivan and no one except one friend has ever actually gone through on that purchase. Yeah, the, the, it's such a cliche where people ask you what to buy and tell them they buy something else. But like I said, there's, there's personal preference and so much of it too comes down to what they get the car for lease or finance rate. Um, you know, even myself, I don't always buy maybe the favorite car for our family in a segment. We usually get the one that's near the top of the list that has such better finance or lease rates that it just makes sense. So, yep. yeah. And, and I mean, availability is still a concern, right? It's, it's less of a problem now than it was in 2022, but it still is a problem. And I mean, a, a great example is Toyota hybrids, right? Like uh, we rank them pretty highly, no matter what it is in the segment, but they're also hard to get. And so if someone needs a car soonish or now, 
if you go to the dealer and all they have are gas ones, then that's probably what you're going to end up getting, right? Yeah, I know someone who just got their EV after almost three years. Like, yeah, some of the, the wait times are, are crazy. But yeah. if you really want that car, you can wait, I guess. Yeah, and that's the, the thing, right? Everyone's situation is different. Maybe they're just waiting it out. And so they've got a car that isn't, there's nothing majorly wrong with it. And so they can just kind of, you know, to, to your point, I, I know friends who waited a little over a year for an EV, but they were fine because the car that they had wasn't pushing them out anytime soon. But yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's tough. I, and I mean, as long as you're not buying a truck and then you don't have to worry about everyone asking you to borrow it every weekend, then you're you're probably fine. Yeah. Okay, so before we wrap things up, we're going to talk about uh, what we've been up to this week and sort of a preview of what's ahead. So we're working on another comparison. It's the Subaru Impreza 2.5 RS against the Toyota Corolla Hatchback uh, XSE. Is that right? Yes, XSE. So, I mean, they're both hatches. They're both um, they're both red, but uh, we can't get too much into the full comparison because we still need to do some more driving. But initially, I've spent a lot of time in the Impreza. Um, there probably isn't anyone better suited to know Subarus than me. The um, it drives a lot like every Subaru of the last you know recent whatever decade. Just with the um, the sound insulation keeps getting a little better. The response is just a little better. Putting the bigger engine back in the Impreza makes such a difference. Um, that two liter was just so overworked in that. Never mind the larger cross track. It's it's such a a big improvement. Um, and the fuel economy in real world is the same, really. I know on paper it's slightly worse, but it's so little. And in real world, you're using the engine so much less. It it just balances out. And it's got a decent back seat and a decent cargo. The styling in the back's kind of shrunken in a bit and it makes the front overhang look a lot longer than it used to. But other than that, it's just an easy, good car to drive with all-wheel drive. I mean, it's it's not going to get a, like an emotional attachment to it, but you're also not going to despise it. It's just it's like a, a good tool to get yourself around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I that's how I felt because I drove the Corolla for most of the, the week. And I'm uh, I'm still moving a few things from my old place to my new place. And it was easy. It's easy to just drop the seats and throw stuff in. The, the load floor is not flat with the rear seats, which is something that the Impreza also has. Uh, but I mean, still, you just, uh, we actually threw our dog's bed into the trunk because it worked as a nice little soft cushion to, to put larger items in. Uh, and it was... Practical. I think the Corolla looks great. I think it looks better than the Impreza. But yeah. uh, you said you have a useful back seat, and that is not the case in the Corolla. <laughs> it is tight back there. Um, very little legroom, which is kind of surprising because the Corolla sedan doesn't really have that problem. And we've driven a bunch of those in the last year. But that is uh, the one thing that I really noticed um, driving the Corolla hatchback since I haven't driven it in a few years. But other than that, I mean, it's a typical modern Toyota. You get in and everything is immediately familiar. You know how to do any important changes in the car. The new infotainment is way better than Entune. It's it's agreeable. Like you said, I'm, I'm not going to fall in love with it, but I'm I'm definitely not going to complain much either. It's, it's a really easygoing car. 
Yeah, it's crazy when you put them side by side how much bigger the Impreza looks. Like the Corolla almost looks like a subcompact in comparison. It's just so much shorter and probably sits a little higher. Both cars come with a lot of options. I mean, they're both sort of mid trim level, so they don't have everything, but any car now comes with so many options and safety features. So, yeah. And I mean, talking about cars that come with a lot of things, uh, next week, I am going to be driving the Alfa Romeo Tonale. Uh, so that is a plug-in hybrid. It's Alfa Romeo's first plug-in hybrid. And Mike, I think you drove it last year, correct? I was going to say, you haven't driven it yet, have you? No, I've driven the Hornet, not the toenail. <laughs> the Hornet? Yeah, yes. we drove, I did it, uh, uh, I went to the first drive, that one where I got the flat on my press car and had to leave it there for two weeks. Um, yeah, uh, we, we only drove the plug-in hybrids. Um, Got actually a lot of time with it, which is nice on a first drive. And I was, I was impressed. It's it's a nice vehicle. Um, we're hoping to set it up for comparison down the road. Uh, next week you're just in it, but I'm curious to see what you think. Uh, it's um, it's different in the segment, which is nice. You know, for better or worse, not being the same as everything else is a nice change. Like it's it's dimensions are a little different, but it's also sportier than a lot of cars. So. Yeah, and I think Alpha kind of has to go down that route of being different from everyone else, right? Like, uh, especially in the luxury segment, you've got BMW and Mercedes and Audi just, you know, selling tons of, of their little SUVs. So I think Alpha going for a slightly smaller, but also more engaging drive. Hopefully, I haven't driven it yet. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, and I hope it does well because the brand deserves a win. But uh, we'll see how it survives a week of winter. Yeah, and I have nothing lined up right now. We'll we'll see next week if I ended up driving something or not. And we have um, one of our freelancers going to a, a special preview next week that we can't really talk about, but that'll be interesting. We'll we'll cover it on a future episode, I'm sure. That's true. And yeah, and um, yeah, like you said, there's there's a big storm coming, so we can finally do some testing in the in the winter. We've gotten off pretty lucky so far. Yeah, so far we've had barely anything. I mean, we did get uh, the warning of a storm this week, and we thought the Corolla and Impreza uh, comparison would be pretty lopsided if we had to drive that day. But then we just got barely anything. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping for a real storm at some point to get some tests in. Yeah. All right, well, I think we'll wrap things up here. Um, thank everyone for listening or watching uh, the Auto Guide Show, the inaugural episode. And we hope you come back next week. Yeah, everyone have a great week. Thank you once again for listening and watching the Auto Guide Show, brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.